This book is also available in audio format on Spotify. Ebook Viewpoint Nature Universal Laws by Chris Walker Complimentary Copy. Download. If you watch the activity that is going on about an anthill, you will see a small army of earnest workers tugging away at what to them is hard and important work. The ants do not see you, for you are too big. They no doubt fuss about and worry, have their anxieties and stresses. They live for short periods, in a relative sense, and therefore have forebodings of what the future has installed for them. They believe that their importance in the universal plan is huge. But you laugh at such littleness. You blame them for worrying and fussing over their work, which, in the bigger picture, is trivial. You know they came into being without exercising any choice in the matter. If you lived on an anthill and never looked beyond, then you will be a citizen of the anthill. If you looked outside of that anthill, at the fields around you, a broader perspective of nature would become obvious if from the fields, you look at the forests and valleys, the mountains and the trees, and far across the ocean to other lands, your viewpoint would be greatly shifted, and you would be a citizen of the anthill without the anthill perspective. Perspective. Grain of sand. If you think that the earth is the center of the universe and that man is the chief purpose of creation, you'll be like an ant in the anthill, who believed that their little anthill was the heart of the universe, and that they were the climax of existence. They would worry and fret and stress about all sorts of things, because, goodness knows they are important. Their perspective is so small and self-defined because they never sat on the top of the anthill and looked off into the distance. They were never 500 inches from home. To this ant, the anthill was a mighty massive matter. But the great operations of the universe are taking place in another part of the sky. New worlds are being born, their suns are coming into existence, new systems are forming, and all is life, swift, thrilling, omnipotent. This is where you want your spiritual perspective to emanate, this is, therefore, where we must travel to gain it. From the universe looking back, our earth has less importance than one grain of sand on all the beaches of all the earth. If you are able to imagine your earth as a tiny grain of sand in the midst of endless masses of sand, there would be billions of ants crawling all over this grain of sand. Relative size is important, one of those ants is the king, another is the emperor, another is the president. Of a great republic, another is the mightiest financier in the world, another is a man of gigantic wealth, and they are, like the millions about them, crawling for their brief period over this grain of sand, only to be absorbed into its surface and disappear quite quickly, while other ants come forth and do their crawling for their brief period and likewise go for nothing. Distances This earth is a grain of sand. How many people on this grain of sand think of the great drifts of other sands that fill the sky? How many people think of the worlds beyond, of the galaxies, of the next universe and the varied array of heavenly wonders that make up the cosmos? If you have never been 500 miles from home, and some think this makes a long journey, you will have a very small viewpoint. If instead of measuring light from the narrow walls of a room, you viewed it from the wide expanse of the earth, you will think differently. Now can you conjure up the idea in your mind that this grain of stand on which you live is a very small part of the sky, and that operations are going on elsewhere that almost totally ignore this small world, you would seek a new viewpoint. Maybe your worries would be less. A safety demonstration. Size means everything. There was once a strange man who had a most powerful microscope and he silently carried one grain of sand to his laboratory. He placed it under a very small microscope where it appeared like a great world, so full of variation that it required weeks to study. After a while he placed it under a more powerful microscope, and now he could see a still larger world. At length, after months of study, he placed the grain of stand under one of the greatest magnifying powers invented. That was years ago, and ever since that time he's been engaged in making maps of the grain of sand, and he finds that it contains hills and valleys, mountains, peaks, canyons upheavals and depressions, just as many as those on earth. 
Our strange man with his grain of sand says that if a race of people suited to this grain of sand were to appear on it, they would have as large a world to live on as we have here, when comparative sizes were considered. He took the grain back to the beach and placed it in a thimbleful of sand. Then looked over the whole beach of sand and made an estimate of how many thimblefuls are on this beach he took his grain from. Now he could see the importance of his grain of sand in the sand cosmos. It is no different to our world and the universe of stars. Relative size means everything. It means clearly that, if there were millions and billions of people on a grain of sand so small that it was wholly unimportant to our gaze, they would seem as great to themselves as we do to ourselves, and a grain of sand would appear as vast a world to them as our earth seems to us. There may be countless peoples, tribes, nations and activities and generations in that tiny bit of sand, just as there are on this planet. To us those people would be insignificant, yet to themselves they would be all important. They would plan and worry, find and make peace, win and lose, be born in pain and die in suffering, all just as we do, and life's problems and struggles would be just as serious. They would have elections, politics and graft, the rise and fall of governments, trials in court where defendants would tremble, and all the business of existence would continue, with great importance. The value of time. Cities have had never withstood 100 centuries of time, so no work of humankind, no building or rare act, no monument will survive long into the future. The axis of the earth is constantly swinging the poles towards the sun, and it is only a question of time when our tropics will be icebound, and our great cities will be buried. Global warming is just a small fragment of the inevitable. Our individual place in this puzzle is absolutely unimportant, destiny is planned, nothing we do can change the big story, we can only modify the little one dot you are less than one leaf in a tree in a forest of 100 million acres. 100 years from now your history will be totally obliterated. Of course, I am talking to your spiritual viewpoint here. Your lower mind will shudder at this reality. What, me, irrelevant? Who does he think he is? And here is the witness to all the drama of earth. Because all these little lower minds argue that they know what is right and what is important, because this creates identity, and identity is, after all, a sense of self-importance. You are one person only. In a crowd of the thousand, you are wholly unnoticed. In a mass of 100,000 people, you could hardly expect to be regarded all. 10 times 100,000 is 1 million, and 10 times 10 millions is a billion, you are just one of humanity. And you exist in the context of just one single generation. This earth has welcomed generations of people for more than 200,000 years, probably for half a million, and will continue to do so, as nature has in its predestined schedule. The earth gets closer to the sun every revolution, sooner or later you won't need a microwave oven. This vision is to impress on your mind the fact that you are but one of 6.5 billion people living today, and they are but one generation in an endless procession of other generations that come and go in rapid succession, soon forgotten and erased from the face of this grain of sand. What do you know about your grandfather? The fact that he liked whiskey before diner or that he was a bit of a joker, and what do you know about his grandfather? Are we trying to give meaning to our life which is really inconsequential? The value of things. We compare this bit of sand to our entire universe. We see that matter is composed of millions of atoms, which are far apart and moving in orbit in the same way that our solar system and the planets and satellites move in our universal space. Then we add the knowledge that, in the ultimate formation of matter, nothing touches, and that is near the truth, matter, resolved into its primary parts, is practically nothing but space. Particles of matter orbiting in atoms with 99.99999% of the thing we call an atom, which makes up the things we call matter, is space, thin air, empty. So in struggling for life, we are grasping for empty space. How scientific is that? At best, 
The wealthiest person on earth owns nothing, in a material sense, but space. Now you can think back over your day and if possible life in the wonder of the effort and fear that you have exerted in the gathering of what is totally empty space and wonder what you were really thinking in that process. Contemplate the smallest particle in matter and then the largest orb in space and consider the vastness of empty space that we call life. You are developing a universal perspective. It is like watching an anthill. The second experiment. Go to a heap of sand, the biggest you can find, and take one grain. Lay it carefully down as your future property. No one will prosecute you for stealing. After having carefully and securely taken possession of this grain of sand, so that you cannot possibly lose it, then begin to count some of the other grains that lie near the place where you took your grain away. Get a handful, estimate the number of grains it contains, then look over the whole heap of sand and make an estimate of how many handfuls are in the total pile of sand that you've taken your grain from. Then imagine that you are standing on a the beach that is 2 kilometers wide stretching even under the sea, 20 kilometers long, and about 100 meters deep with sand, try to get in your mind. The number of sand grains in all that mass, and then look to see what that value of your grain of sand compared with the whole area. You now have an idea of the importance of this earth and the galaxy in which it lives, and in turn this galaxy, the Milky Way in. The context of this known universe, as one of billions and billions of known galaxies in the cosmos. Study this proposition until the whole vision impresses you. Our earth is no more than a tiny speck of cosmic dust. Dwell on this thought as you enter sleep. Take the grain of sand which your lower mind will claim as yours, so you now own it, yours, your property. Now look at it. If you wish to bring only your physical mind to view it, then you need not be alone, but if you wish to see it with your psychic mind, you should be alone. Look at that grain of sand. Imagine that it can be seen under a microscope. If you have one and can enlarge the grain 100 times, all the better. But your imagination can do as well. Suppose you could magnify it a thousand diameters or ten thousand times, what do you have? Suppose you belong to a race of people that were created small enough to dwell on that grain of sand. You would have no way of knowing the perspective of where you existed, you would think your grain of sand was a very mighty world, on which a 100-story building would be a wonder of the ages, although in a handful of sand no one could see you or your big building. Such is the effect of a spiritual viewpoint putting life in perspective. The Fourth Experiment build a solar system of the same comparative size as that which houses our Earth. The Sun is more than 90 million miles from Earth. It is 1,250,000 times larger than this Earth. The Sun could take into its body our world and would absorb it like an ocean would absorb a drop of water. 1,000 Earths, if they all went into the Sun at one time, would be no more than a drop in comparison and would be devoured in a flash, all gone, people, women and children, cities, governments, nations and continents, all, that is anything, the merest thing, gone to make no appreciable increase in the bulk of the great sun. The sun is more than one million times larger than this earth. The solar system consists of the sun and nine planets. Of these Jupiter is the largest, and it would take 1,200 earths to make one Jupiter. But all planets together and the thousand moons would make only a drop in the bulk of the sun if they all collided with the sun. Take the grain of sand and glue it to the wall so it cannot be rubbed off easily. Then get a golf ball and glue it to the same wall 2 meters away from the grain of sand. The earth will be represented by the grain of sand and the sun by the golf ball. The only purpose is to impress on your mind the littleness of earth. Now consider that the gold ball, our sun, is one of the smallest. In our galaxy, and if you were to put the next closest star on the wall you would need to place it many miles away. Then consider that there are millions of suns in our galaxy. This is viewpoint, this is spiritual perspective. 
Now you might begin to see a more enlightened perspective. The ball and the grain of sand should remain on the wall of your room at all times where you can see them, so that they may arouse the feeling of how unimportant this world is in the affairs of the total universe. The journey so far. We began with the viewpoint of the little life on the grain of sand, and we looked into the anthill, then into the homes and offices of so called busy people, and then the whole world itself. We are about ready to take the journey further and out into space itself so we can see our earth from the same perspective as we saw that, O-U-R, grain of sand. We depart earth traveling at the speed of light. One million miles each five seconds, and have now, in a few seconds, reached, the moon. Here we meet a fellow space traveler, who has journeyed the millions of years from the center of the cosmos to visit our earth, we sit on the moon for a rest and watch this creature as it observes our planet, what would they see? They see our Earth revolve around once every 24 hours, and on its surface they see things moving about like so many ants surrounding an anthill. These objects, it discovers, are on two legs, and they have round knobs in the upper end, which they guard more carefully than they do their lower end. Except in Australia, the round knob on the upper end seems to have a special value. So it watches all these and soon ascertains that the round knob of each is a sort of governing globe, containing the power to instruct the rest of the body. They seem to go into houses, when it becomes dark, or many of them do. It seems to be a general custom with the majority. Others make imitations of the sunlight and try to see things as if the sun were still shining. When the light appears each morning the ants come out in their millions all over the planet, and they are busy doing all sorts of things. Their anthills are generally square or triangular buildings and countless ants are always making more of those things to live in and to work in. These self-important things worry and a plan, they suffer, fight, eat, get well, get sick again and die. They even dig holes in the surface of the earth in which to drop their dead. They grieve a lot when they put them down those holes and because of that, they go down themselves in a very short time. So they go on from generation to generation, some thinking it all right, others not thinking at all and most of them wondering what it all means. Thousands of years come and go, in which time nature smoothed out the surface where the dead have been buried, the anthills, collections of those buildings, cities, are leveled to the ground to be forgotten, so that, after a brief lapse of a few thousand years, all is gone and not a trace can be found of the ants that once started here and they're all over the globe. And new ones take over thinking they are important, relevant. Here the traveler laughs for the first time. Moving on. A few more seconds at the speed of light takes us past the moon, a few hours takes us outside the outer confines of our solar system. Soon, we have traveled at this breakneck speed, 1 million miles every 5 seconds, for 24 hours and we are still no nearer to Alpha Century, the closest star of the billions that make up our galaxy. Alpha Century is still a tiny speck in the distance. Will another 24 hours help us traveling at the speed of light? Will a week, at the speed of light reduce the distance? Surely it ought to, for 1 million miles every 5 seconds, kept up 24-7, ought to make vast inroads in space. But the handicap is not our rate of speed, but the awful size of space. A whole month passes, and we are no closer. Then a whole year, and Alpha Century is still just as far away, and we know that we have been going in a straight line towards it all the while. There has been no deviation from our course, and still it doesn't grow larger. It's hard to explain. A second year passes. We have been traveling all the time as fast as light travels, or 1 million miles every 5 seconds, and yet, after 2 years of such speed Alpha Century seems not a bit larger. The part of the sky that lies between our solar system and Alpha Century is avoid the distance of 25 trillion miles. To travel there at the speed of light requires over 4 years of our time. If that star should explode, as all stars will, and become dead and scattered, 
we would not know it for more than four earth years. That's how long it would take the light, from the star to change, extinguish or even flash into one of our telescopes. We are, as it is said, behind the times in a big way. Our solar system, the area in which all of the planets circle our sun, is 6 million miles in diameter, the distance between us and nearest neighboring solar system is empty, and would be equal to more than 4,000 of our solar systems all placed in one line. Far enough apart to prevent each sun robbing the other of its planets and moons. Our whole solar system, with its great planets, is so small that it's a dot in the sky. Yet, on Earth, we thought that our one life was really, really important. Countless generations have come and gone, and there were countless persons, like ourselves, who thought that the Earth was the center of sky and their life was valuable. Now the traveler we met who is really laughing for the second time, when he realizes that we thought the intention of our life was to make good of it. In fact he has begun to hyperventilate with laughter, he can no longer sit up and begins to roll about. We are, like a drop in the ocean, important but irrelevant. The journey continues at hyperspeed. To continue to our destination we must confess that the vehicle that travels distance and measures time by earthly means is not going to suffice. You can comprehend what distance it is from. The little world that we left. You remember that we passed our sun, and were astonished to learn that its diameter was much more than 1 million miles. Earth is 8,400 miles, and we passed other suns whose diameter was 10 million miles and more, and our sun seemed little in comparison. When we left the Earth we thought we were going away from our world, that this little thing was the center of the universe. We believed, as others believe, that our planet, with its circumference of almost 25,000 miles, was a giant home for humanity, yet it faded from view in a flash, four seconds. It was a tiny, insignificant little world that we left. Moving by the light route, moving at the rate of 189,000 miles per second, for more than 1 million years on the journey we were only in the center of our own Milky Way galaxy. It is one galaxy in the vast expanse of space where 50 billion galaxies have been observed by scientists, so far. Therefore we must release the physical dimension of travel, we must take flight, and speed on wings, not of light, but of thought, and come to the central courts of heaven. Space Travel By a change of pace from light to thought we traverse the vast expanse of space in a few seconds of actual time. It makes a great difference how we go. Light is swift. Electricity is swift. A ray of light will pass around the earth six times in one second. But light, swift as it is, cannot serve the demands of true knowledge. We must use imagination and thought as our vehicle, we must go in thought where humans cannot go, and in doing this, we become truly citizens of the universe. Unlimited in our scope, uncontrolled by material existence, we are free to explore, and that is what we intend to do. Now I would like to give you a map, the map I promised at the start, a precious map that will become yours. It's a map you can carry back on your return to Earth. Of course you can return here anytime you choose, I have shown you the route. And if you return often enough it can become instantaneous, it can become your viewpoint, from which you see life. A spiritual viewpoint. The center of the universe. We have reached the center of the universe. There is no tomorrow and no yesterday, it is an eternal moment. Your heart is open, and there is nothing to close it. There are no people because the separation between all things has vanished one is all and all is one, so there are no conversations, silence is beauty. Worry and fear and anxiety are banished they relate to time, the past and the future and here, neither exist. Freedom is the keynote. There is a music, but not of the ears. It is the sound of harmony, that perfect harmony. Our spirit celebrates and laughs at the dimension of life, the expanse of it and the wonder. Reason and logic are banished. There is no time, so there cannot be a past to consider nor a future to map. All time has condensed into this experience. 
Emotion is also impossible, because without time, fear of the future, or guilt of the past cannot exist. There is no grasping or holding on, your wanting is fulfilled. Insecurity is lost, because here all needs are satiated, you are truly in your divine nature. Desire gives way to contentment a deep. Personal and universal contentment. You now see the perfect order in creation. Time does no exist for you, but it does for those back on earth. In their years and centuries you watch eons of time come and go. You now understand the mystery of existence on such a huge scale. That they try to posse another person, or continue to argue over property seems incomprehensible when you see the tiny fragment of time they call life. That they would divide themselves in the name of their gods, is incomprehensible. With such small comprehension of the greater mystery, they cry for help to understand their small world and in this dichotomy you find your life purpose. Here is the center of the universe there is a stillness and it is this stillness you choose to carry back to your little home. This stillness seems to be the key, the stillness of timeless space, you choose to understand it, this is the map, this stillness you find, and now you might transport it home. This one element of the center of the universe beyond all else, a gift that you can transport from your journey, from this home in the cosmos, to your home and your body on earth, stillness you will carry. A new perspective. Just before we leave, can we, in this place of wonder, take the time to contemplate the laws that pervade all creation? It seems wise to explore all we can before we return to our material home. Can we understand this universe enough to bring this perspective back with us and therefore understand life on earth from this viewpoint? We can know that whatever happens in human associations, must be found already established in the universe, the laws are all pervasive and therefore understanding universal law, is understanding nature's law and therefore human law. We can only operate freely, to the degree that we conform to these laws on earth. There is no part of creation where these laws are not obeyed. What may seem like chaos and confusion to an earthly ant, operating in the perspective of the anthill, is really operating under laws of order. No movement escapes it anywhere in the cosmos, including our earth. There is order in the chaos you will never find a law that prevails in the sky, that is not mirrored by nature on earth. THE1ST LAW, THE LAW OF PERFECT BALANCE Look around in this wondrous space and take careful note, all creation is drawn to be spherical. The earth is round. The sun is round. The planets are round. The solar system is round. All matter seeks the same shape, and no power exists in the universe that can alter the tendency. More than this, there is the influence that one set of planets has on all the others, and that all have on each. Wherever a ray of light travels, harmony goes with it, and there goes the power that is inseparable from all existence. It is a self-evident fact that everything that is free in nature assumes a round shape which reveals the presence of balanced forces. Light carries the power of repulsion. Matter carries the power of attraction, and these two influences working together give shape to the entire universe. This is the balance between all forces, and the universe itself must, of necessity, be round in order for the two forces to do their work. If one single atom, in the entire universe were out of balance the whole of creation would be destroyed. Growth and decay, birth and death, weather, tides successes and failure are all the manifestation of this greater law, all in the universe seeks balance, and without it, all would freeze. Balance is everything. It is one law that governs all. Contrast this now with the minds of those ants, scurrying about in their anthill worlds. Their existence is conditional on the defiance of the law of balance. Every emotion, every feeling, every attraction and every repulsion, every like and dislike, every good and bad are one if not all four of these separations from grace, an imbalanced thought. The ambition for most people, the height of earthly experience is separation, identity. They aspire to create a good without its correlate wrong, an upper without its correlate downer. 
This identification is the basis of their life's whole pursuit, a struggle to create individuality, a fight against nature. They search and struggle looking for ways to change their anthill to separate themselves from others on the basis of personal ideals. They hold so fast to their separations that they go to their grave early. What stress is not caused by separation? What sickness is not the result of a stubborn hold on lopsided identity? What war and boundary between nations is not divided on the basis of imbalanced ideals of religion, culture, or greed? They build prisons and then fight to remain inside them. Is there any single event that can escape perfect balance? Is there a birth without a death, a loss without a gain, a growth without a decay? Yet on earth they fight for youth, and deny the decay of age. On earth our viewpoint limits our understanding. We believe only what we see. We cannot understand that balance exists because we cannot measure what happens in one part against another. We know only what we can see. On earth, we have come to thrive on this imbalance. Our stories are told in pain without pleasure, of happiness without cost. Of death without gain. We write books and performances in which one side can exist without the other and the more this is shown, the more it is revered. Living in our lower-minded ant hills we build hospitals and study better ways to defy nature's law. The process is balance. When a human ant finds balance, it is uncomfortable because balance is not action, balance is stillness. When we are in balance it is uncomfortable because there is. No drama, no story to tell. Imbalance is contrast and this has the appearance of success, progress. It is also separation of people, boundaries between nations, violence and suffering. Consciousness in the human definition is the preservation of life in the best way possible whereas consciousness on the universal level is perfect balance, unconditional love, eternal witness. One satisfies the human being while the other satisfies the soul, and this is the cosmic joke. THE2ND LAW, THE LAW OF EVOLUTION Nothing in nature is aimless. There is a purpose in all things. In all vibration there is to be found a certain rhythm. Rhythm holds the universe in its song. The swing of the planets around the sun, the rise and fall of the sea, the beating of the heart, the ebb and flow of the tide, all follow rhythmic laws. The oscillating rays of the sun reach us, the rain descends upon us, and again rises, all in obedience to the same law. All growth is but an exhibition of this law of rhythm. All motion, is a manifestation of, the law of rhythm. Our bodies are as much subject to rhythmic laws as is this planet all in revolution around the sun. Much of wonder and beauty of life is based upon this known principle of nature. And by falling in with this rhythm, we are able to celebrate a great love of life, which we can use to bring about the results we desire. This body you occupy is like a small inlet running into the land from the sea. It is subject to the ebb and flow of the tides of the ocean. This great sea of life is swelling and receding, rising and falling, and we are responding to its vibrations and rhythm. The struggle on the part of nature to give birth to our little world and its burden of humanity must be a part of some greater rhythm, a harmony so huge it is hard to comprehend, our tiny existence in this huge universe, must be a part of some greater purpose. Time has not been used recklessly, because nature is an attentive officer of time. She would not allow the waste of one billion years no more than she would waste a second. Everything in this universe fits some part of a greater puzzle, everything has a purpose, everything thinks. Trees think, rocks think. They have a beginning and an end, they have an innate destiny, they begin in one form and end in another. And so, the whole intention is written before things materialize. In the seed of a tree is its destiny. Birth, life death and the vital things in between which make it fit into the puzzle of life, are pre-arranged. Destiny is written. And that destiny is evolution. Evolution is not linear. It happens, like nature in spurts, nature does not grow constantly but in cycles. 
Such is life. Cycles of growth, rest and release. This is the flow, the natural flow of life for which most of us are not adept. We rest easily, we grow by force of circumstance and we cannot let go. Even our dead we hold for life. We cannot let go. This is, the conflict between human conditions and natural conditions. The automatic cycles are not yet comfortable with humankind. We seek with incredible tenacity to deny the cycles and so fall out of harmony with nature. To be in harmony with nature, and therefore the universal song, we must grow, evolve. This is the keynote, evolution. We are thought, the pure sound, manifest into form as ice comes from water, and we seek the harmonic from which we came, that perfect note. The path is the purpose of life. The three are D law, the law of interconnectedness. Nothing is ever missing, it just changes in form. There never was and never will be any limit to space, this is something that overwhelms the mind. We know that it must be true, because it is one of those facts that prove themselves. No one doubts it. If you are able to travel through sky with the speed of the mind, which will take you to the furthest visible star in one second, and if, at that rate, you were to go on and on, what would you find? Just space? Stars in it? Perhaps, but when stars were no longer there, it would be just space. If you think there is an end to space, what would you find there? What marks the end? A door? A wall? Or an ocean? Or a solid bank? What? It is merely space. When your mind travels to the highest heights, to the deepest depths, the furthest east and west, and north and south, and endlessly everywhere, it will find space, just space. Beyond the limits of space, there is more space. And so on until the end of thought. It is an amazing idea. The fact that there is material existence today in the universe proves one or more of the following conclusions. 1. Whatever exists in the material world must either have been created by some power, or must have been always present in some form. 2. The material was always present, therefore, it had no beginning. 3. If it was created, that which created it must have existed before it, and must always have existed or must have been created. 4. If that power had always existed then it had no beginning. 5. If it was created, then some other power must have existed before it. Every one of these propositions is capable of proof. In reaching the conclusion that there was never a beginning of existence in the universe, we start with the presence of matter which is known. If at any time in the past there was no matter in existence, then the power to create matter must have existed. But if there was a period when neither matter nor the power to create matter existed, then there was nothing at all. This would imply there was a beginning. If there was a beginning then just before that beginning there must have been nothing at all. This is suggesting that matter or some power preceding matter must have sprung from nothing. We can comprehend that it is possible for matter to spring from a creative source, but it is not possible for a creative source to spring from nothing. When we use the word nothing we mean the absence of everything except empty space, and in the space is nothing. No power, not even a miracle can spring from nothing. Therefore, there was never a beginning of the universe. It has been said that there was never a beginning. It's also been said that there was a time when our solar system didn't exist. I.e., there was a time when nothing material was present. It would seem, then, that it must have been a void, that space, which is now our solar system, was wholly unoccupied. Or was it? Thought. Under the banner of thought, it is possible to put everything that is not material, spirits, souls and all else that can possibly exist apart from matter, might just be thoughts. Therefore if there was never a beginning, and if matter at one time was wholly lacking, and if something cannot be built out of nothing, then thought must have preceded the creation of matter. Figure it over for years if you wish, it will stand the test. It will become more and more self-evident as your mental process ripen into a fruitful understanding of it. 
power is the ability to do anything. But this does not mean the ability to make something out of nothing. Such a thing has never been done, and never will occur. Music, is the perfect demonstration of this law. We hear notes, and analysis shows they are merely the waves of air and vibration. The same as thought. The energy of music is in the strength of a finger hitting a hammer onto a string converting energy in one form to another. Something existed and something was created. Just changed form. In the central courts of heaven no material exists, it is pure, undiluted light, thought. They are both vibrations of extreme intensity, everything in the central courts of heaven is unmanifested, it hasn't changed from thought energy to material energy. The material world exists in other realms of existence. Here, there is just pure vibration, light. In the central courts of heaven, there is no material. Here, in the center of the cosmos, there is only pure thought. If you have mastered a moment of unconditional love in your life, a moment of non-attachment, a moment of supreme presence and gratitude, a moment of awe and absolute wonderment, a moment where you forgot yourself and stood motionless, silent and with heart frozen in beauty, then you have once before visited this center of the cosmos. You will know of the beauty and the wonder of it. The difference between thought and matter, between spirit and life is life the difference between ice and water. You may burn the house in which you live, but every atom in it will be found again some in gases that remain in the air, others in solids that go to the earth, and a few ashes that are heaped up, nothing can be lost. If you took a contract to end the existence of a drop of water for which you get $1 million if you succeed, you will not do it. No matter how many chemical changes the water passes through, it still lives and will live to that remote period that marks the end of eternity. By universal law, nothing is missing. There is no insufficiency. Nothing is missing it just changes in form. It's universal. So there can be no wanting from a universal viewpoint. Only a human mind can conceive something missing. Nothing is missing, it just changes in form. Abundance. Abundance can only come from a universal perspective, and from this vantage, there is no wanting. There is nothing to change. Nothing is missing, just changed in form. The universal perspective is abundant, content and happy, there is nothing to be unhappy about. It not about personal change, or trying to change something. This is a little bit like trying to put five fingers on five fleas at once. Every time you get two pinned, the other three crawl off in different directions. Identifying too much with different personality traits that people are not happy with, is just a great waste of time. Moreover, the minute we start thinking that way, we develop problem consciousness. In other words, we set out to conquer a problem in our personality, we conquer it, and no sooner do we do this than we find 50 more. Finally we find something we cannot conquer and we get frustrated. Then we become compulsive about trying to fix something in ourselves, and finally we discover some of the problems we thought we had fixed, came back. Of course, that's even more frustrating. We know when we are holding the universal viewpoint. Instead of problem consciousness, there will be openness and grace, a sense of flow that we have within ourselves and with other people. Can you see that everything you want, or miss you already have? This is grace. Can you see yourself and everyone you meet? Where have you done what they are doing, positive and negative? no separation. Totally? If nothing is missing, just changed in form, then everything you see is a reflection of you. Every character trait in another is you. If they are bad you are bad, if they are good you have that goodness. Putting people on pedestals is foolish and putting people below you is disturbing to your peace of mind. By asking where have I done that, you need to be able to look at behavior laterally. If they have committed a crime and you have not, then you need to ask where have I done what I don't like about that, for example, where have I hurt people? 1000 little increments add up to one big action. You may need to confess this. 
Also, you need to see that the difference between thought and matter is like ice and water. Sometimes we think that our thoughts are not actions. But they are, they count. THE4TH Law The Law of Creation There are high vibrations and low vibrations. High vibrations are high in energy low in mass, the particles vibrate highly but are light, and then there are low vibrations which are particles that have much of their energy turned into weight, and less in energy. So, the universe is constructed of different materials, periodic table of elements, yet, the foundations of all those different materials is the same. Atoms, molecules and subatomic particles, the highest vibration of the universe is light, called love in earthly terms, light. Is a massless, chargeless particle with all its energy consumed in its vibration. Now, slow light down, the photon, no mass no charge, maximum vibrational energy, starts to split into proton and electron, and so, we begin to form matter. Everything you can touch, taste, see, smell, hear, own and discard, is made of light particles slowed down to form things. So manifestation is the ability to slow down light. Light being love. So to take a great idea, thought, and turn it into a business, art form, gift, action, is to transform love to action to material. This is the mastery of life on earth. Remember, as above so below. So the more skilled we become at mastering the heavier materials and feelings, the higher we go in inspiration. Spirit, just a thought, without matter, just a thing, has no form, and matter, just a thing, without spirit, just a thought, has no motion. The two are essential to life. THE5TH Law The Law of Hierarchy There are many viewpoints about our existence. But there is only one viewpoint that is highest, and that is a viewpoint from the center of the universe. From that position we can have a true perspective on life. The difference between a universal viewpoint and that of the ordinary person is the former views the whole at once, while the latter sees only the part. This distinction, slight as it seems at first, means the vast scope of the universe on the one hand and the worst of all personal and human interest on the other hand. Now which is the more important? Observe now from your vantage point, and see the sun having a long leash, like ropes that extend in all directions, leading out from itself to all planets, and that with these leashes each planet is held in check. The sun feeds them all with light and therefore energy, she defines their path through the sky and she controls their rate of speed. Now you will have a good idea of the control that is exercised by the sun over its family, the solar system. The forces involved in the government of this world and family of worlds, are mighty in their power, and yet humble in their obedience. They must conform. We've seen lightning leap across the sky and tear its way into the earth, seemingly following some movement that was due to chance, but every scientist who has studied lightning knows that it obeys a fixed rule in all its activities. It will never deviate a hair's breadth from that fixed rule. The sun is the leader giving light to dark, the planets are the follower fulfilling their own density guided by the light of the sun. The earth is free to fulfill its purpose, but cannot escape the leash of the sun, it is bound by its laws. Any contradiction to this would result in the expulsion of the earth from the family of the sun. Corporate culture are these larger laws, job function are the individual purpose. All of life fits these rules. The same is true of every one of the mighty operations of nature. All is governed, all is obedience. All things have a central power that controls them. Everything is humble to something greater than itself. This is a self-evident law. There never was or could be a tribe that did not have its chief. Nor has there been a city or a town without a mayor or leader. There is no body of people that is without a leader. No government has ever existed without a leader, or a group of leaders, all businesses have their leader. And partnerships that are supposed to be composed of two people holding equal rights and rank, always have the senior partner, 
and one voice is stronger than the other in the management of the business. This fact is due to the necessity of centralizing the control of everything. But it is also instinctively derived from the same law that pervades all creation. The same law of central control holds each moon to its mother planet. If the smaller body could get away from the greater, it would become a free agent, and its course in space would mark uncertainty if not ruin. We would never know at what moment some stray world might crash into our planet. Everything in the universe reports to a higher power. IT is the law of the one and the many. Obedience is the nature of things. To defy that obedience is a disastrous life. Returning home. Immortal people have left behind clues to their secrets of how to live on earth with this great knowledge. They were ordinary mortal people from any walk of life, who were willing to become guided by their extraordinary and immortal awareness of the courts of heaven. They all listened to their deepest voice, their inner voice and obeyed. They all allowed themselves regular visits to the cosmos and learned to align daily life on earth with heavenly presence. They allowed the laws of the central courts, grown from their inner being, to govern their many actions on the outside. They let their willing and immortal guidance overrule their mortal form. The laws of nature are the translation of the universal laws into earthly dialogue. These laws of nature can transform the way humanity relates to itself. This in turn can transform the way we related to each other and ourselves. There is no more powerful gift than these laws of nature. They are simple, relevant, available to everyone and on a practical level solve most human dram and reveal the happiness we all so desire. Live with spirit. Chris Walker